Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 12, volume 12, week 12, number 12. Fucking big show this week, fucking stoked on this week's show. We've got all the latest Mosh news, we've got Mosh reviews, and we sit down for a phenomenal chat with an absolute legend, Brandon of Bleeding Through the Iron Sun and Rise Above Fitness. All of that is coming up later in the show. Time for Mosh News. First up this week, Bullet For My Valentine announced their sixth album will be coming out in June on Spine Farm Records. They also released the first single called Over It. And to be honest, not digging it. This sounds very rock. This sounds very radio. This sounds like they're deviating a bit away from that metalcore, alt-metal sound. Sounds like they're going in a different direction. It is only one song from the album, so we can't fully grasp, obviously, what it's going to all sound like. I'm a bit worried if this is the first song they think is outstanding and worthy of our attention. Be interesting as things develop with more singles and also when we get a copy to have a listen to, what it all sounds like but at the moment gravity is not appealing to me at all at the moment i'm very wary i'm very worried and could bullet for my valentine just be falling into one of those bands that were good back in the day but now are just passe all of that we will be covering when we get it other news this week was Bleed From Within released a third music video from their upcoming album era called Crown of Misery. Fucking hell, what a fucking song, what a music video. These Scottish boys are fucking knocking it out of the park with this album. Cannot wait to get my hands around my pre-order. It's coming in the mail from Scotland, so it might take a couple of weeks knowing Australian mail, but... Stoked to review that in the next coming weeks and just stoked that Bleed From Within are back on the metal scene. That music video and all the details about the album are on our website and our social medias. Other news this week was Soilwork are back in the fucking studio, baby. Soilwork are getting ready and are recording their 11th album. No other details are known at the moment. They have put up a photo showing that they are in the studio. So as details come forth, we will share them with you. So make sure you keep an eye on our website and social medias. Other news this week. Big news for the Deathcore fans. Impending Doom have announced their new album will be called The Sin and Doom Volume 2. And it will be coming out in June. They also released a first song from the album. And fuck, it is heavy. This is impending doom as we know it. There is that very Christian lyric theme going on there with impending doom. But I think with the style of music they play, you can kind of let it slide. And it's still thoroughly enjoyable. All of that information and that song are on our website and social medias. Make sure you peek in there, have a listen, let us know what you think. We will be reviewing that when it gets released. We'll also be giving you any more updates on that as it comes forward. A bit of local news. 
the the boys from Gravemind have released a new single called Lifelike. Not only have they released the new single, but they're doing it with a 7-inch, quite, quite sexy-looking package for the 7-inch. That is a standalone single. It's very interesting what Gravemind do. They constantly push the envelope. They are setting themselves apart with the way they package things for their fans. And seeing this single seeing the music video, seeing the 7-inch all being released. It's very, very good, and hats off to the guys for really doing something different. They also are heading out around the East Coast soon. That song, the pre-order details, all of that is on our website. Get into it. Make sure you support Gravemind. If you are a local, get behind your local talent. Last bit of news this week which ironically ties into our guest this week, is Bleeding Through released the first bit of new music in six years. They released a music video for their song Set Me Free from an upcoming album coming out in May called Love Will Kill All. And fuck, yes, Bleeding Through are fucking back absolutely brutal fucking song it has got that death metal tinged symphonic sound over just pure hardcore aggression sounds amazing cannot wait to hear more of this album that that comes out in may cannot fucking wait make sure you get on our website check out that music video check out the artwork for the upcoming album and check out where to pre-order it all That is all the Mosh News for this week. As always, make sure you are visiting our website, www.themoshzone.com. Make sure you subscribe to that website to keep up to date. Make sure you're liking and following our social medias, which are all at The Mosh Zone. And we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Make sure you keep up to date and visit regularly because we're always dropping more news as we get it. More album news, more songs, more music videos, more tour news. It's all there when we get it. Make sure you're following. And if you've got time, share it with your friends. Tell your buddies. Oi, have you checked out The Mosh Zone on Facebook? Have you checked out the website? Help us spread the word about The Mosh Zone. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. It's now time for Mosh Reviews. First album this week is Under Oath's new album called Erase Me, out now on Fearless Records. This is Under Oath's first album in eight years, and in some ways you'd say it is a comeback album. When you say comeback album, it usually leads to a bit of a dubious feeling, a bit of a uncertainty going on there, because you're not sure is the band going to live up to the expectations that have been put against them. They're suddenly back. Are they going to be the same as they always were? Also, is this band going to bring something new to the table and will it be as successful as their past has been? This leads us to Erase Me by Underoath. It's an interesting album, but unfortunately, I don't think it's a successful outing. I don't really think this has exceeded all the expectations behind the hype. 
Under Oath, of course, are a post-hardcore metalcore pioneering band of sorts. They have had some of the most untouchable, virtually perfect albums during 2004 to 2010. Albums like They're Only Chasing Safety. But while there's always been a definite pattern of similarity in their releases, they've also been a band that has always transformed and changed slightly bit by bit. Their music has always been emotionally fraught. It's always been intense. And the live shows that these guys put on is just as good as it sounds on the album. This album, Erase Me, feels like another change in the direction of the discography, bringing Under Oath to a new chapter in their career. But it feels like an all-of-a-sudden departure. It doesn't feel gradual, and unfortunately, it doesn't feel natural. What they've done, I feel, has left behind all of the momentum and abilities that they've had and just completely gone, fuck it, we're going somewhere else. Opening single from the album On My Teeth was a way that the band not only announced their return to the scene, but also the return of founding drummer and clean vocalist Aaron Gillespie. While it was an effective way of doing so, it also didn't feel 100% genuine. It felt very half-hearted. It also, ironically, seems to be one of the stronger songs on the album. And if you're saying that, then I think you have a feeling where this album really goes. An interesting thing about On My Teeth was also it is being getting a lot of shock value and media attention for being the first song ever in Under Oath's history to have swearing on it. Spencer has not only swore on it, but he's gone straight in in the opening verse. And I know some people might be saying, well, why is that such a shock? The reason it's a shock is because Under Oath have always tipped their cap and hung their jacket, the fact that they are a Christian metal band. Well, apparently they're no longer a Christian metal band. They're apparently getting rid of that. They are no longer believing in God. This album, interestingly enough, was also recorded and produced by Matt Squire, who's known for his work with bands such as Panic at the Disco and All Time Low. Now, if you've got a man like that behind the desk, it clearly shows the direction the band were wanting to take, which is a very different direction to what they're known for. There is effectively no guitars on this fucking album. While we know that Tim and James would have been there for the recording process, it kind of comes across that everything they came up with or produced wasn't good enough to make the final cut. On this album, I would say there's only about four actual riffage moments, which is really weird to think a band of Under Oath's ilk now only has three or four riffs going on on an entire album. The whole album is very low-end chord progressions electronic melodies, and basically a Bring Me The Horizon ripoff. Spencer Chamberlain's vocals are very much like the band he did on the side, Sleepwave. There's very few screaming moments and a lot of slow, soulful crooning moments. Unfortunately for me, this album didn't go far. After a few listens, I was done. There was nothing long-lasting. There was nothing really substantial. 
The idea of a band changing their sound and trying out new things is always great. It's nothing to be sneered at. But the results here are far from convincing, far from good. And unfortunately, the whole affair feels like it's being tailored to the fans of bands like You, Me at Six, Bring Me the Horizon, and these kind of stadium-sounding indie alt-rock post-rock bands. There is still a little bit of bite there, but it feels so refrained and so held back. The other thing that shocked me was Erase Me feels so incredibly disconnected from what came before. Previously, like I said, they do transition from a bit to bit, but this feels completely disjointed. There will be attention for this album for the fact that Under Oath have made such a name for themselves in the past. It will be interesting to see if this album is actually a success. I do know some people are raving about it, but the same people that are raving about this are also probably raving about the recent The Plot In You, the recent Of Mice and Men, the recent Asking Alexander. All of these albums have been very poorly done. They're very slick and big sounding, but it's just not substantial it is really backwards and it's unfortunately sad to see under oath follow this pattern hopefully erase me is just something this band needed to get out of their system and get done hopefully the next album and the next recordings will show a true reflection of the fruits of this labor but this album is just poor this album I am talking about is Erase Me by Under Oath, out now on Fearless Records, and we give it a 4 out of 10. Next album up for review is a new album by Light the Torch called Revival, out now on Nuclear Blast Records. Light the Torch were formerly known as Devil You Know, but they had to change that name and change everything about themselves due to legal issues. One thing that came up when they changed the name to Light the Torch was a lot of people worried there would also be a drastic shift in sound. While the band has certainly changed, they haven't completely abandoned their sound. They've simply refined it, resulting in something that's not only familiar, but also slightly different. One of the most notable changes is the increased focus on anthemic choruses and massive melody Screaming vocals are not really there, and when used, are used sparingly. Since there's an increased focus on melody, Howard Jones has more room to utilise his clean singing that he's so renowned for. Thus results in some of the best vocal performances he's probably ever done. Which is a lot to say when this is a man that did Holy Diver. Songs like The Safety of Belief and Calm Before the Storm are not only impressive, but the quality is very high. The production on this album is absolutely massive and helps giving Howard Jones the centre stage while not burying anything that's going around him. There are still some moments of heavy. Songs like The Sound of Violence lives up to its name and it's got this gnarly whisper of clean vocals and a hardcore-esque sounding guitar chugging. Songs like Virus and The Bitter End also invest in a lot of time battering your eardrums in between the lighter sections. 
A lot of people are going to say that Light the Torch have purposely created a commercial album. But to be honest, it doesn't sound overly fake. It does sound very natural in evolution. If I had to have one negative to really pinpoint on this album is that it does start to become a little predictable. There is a lack of variation or true heaviness on this album. It does blend together and it does feel organic and all over whole, but it doesn't feel like there's much standing out from one another. When you put all these songs into a playlist and you don't play them in order, you don't really know where's the start and end of the album because everything is very much the same. I very much enjoyed it, but to be honest, it did become a little bit tiresome after a while because not only is there a lack of variation, but every song has the same similar structure. Revival sticks very closely to the Metalcore rulebook and the songs are very well crafted and powerful, but there's nothing special. Yes, the band is fronted by one of the best and most renowned vocalists around, and the instrumentation, while not heavy, is very well done. It's a very enjoyable set of songs, but it'll be interesting to see where this band goes. Will we have the same on album two, or will we get something a bit heavier? This album will appease to fans of Howard Jones' work, but it will also appease to fans of Five Finger Death Punch and Breaking Benjamin and these kind of bands. This is for fans of the melody. This is for fans of rich-sounding arena metal. There is a lot of talent here, but unfortunately I don't feel like it stands out. This album we are talking about is Revival by Light the Torch, out now on Nuclear Blast, and we give it a 7 out of 10. Next up for review is the new EP by TRC called Lifestyle, out now independently. The London hardcore boys TRC are fucking back after five years with this brand new EP. TRC are a band that have the hardcore punk vibes with massive riffs, big groove. They've got a massive attitude and English swagger about themselves. The other thing that they're very notable for is it's raw and intense, but with two different vocal deliveries. There is the hardcore sounding vocalist, and then there is the rhyming rapping style vocalist. TRC are definitely original and unique in the hardcore scene. The band really burst onto the scene in 2011 with their album Bright Lights, which is an absolute stellar fucking album. Two years after that, they dropped an album called Nation that was again firing on all cylinders and unmistakably their sound. In 2013, when they seemed to be really at the top of their game, they went through quite a few bumps in the road But one of the big bumps in the road was the guitarist Charlie and drummer Leslie both leaving the band and founding English hardcore punk band Counting Days, a band that has become pretty massive in the UK metal and hardcore scene. 
this situation did shake up TRC quite a bit and it did take them a while, as we said, five years, so definitely a while, to come back with this new EP. But they've taken their time and they have fucking smashed it. Straight out of the gates, it's apparent that TRC definitely not trying to reinvent themselves on the Lifestyle EP. On paper, they're keeping the same sound as they've always had. While that can be a risky move to make, there are plenty of artists that still do it and can pull it off, and TRC pull it off. The thing about TRC that makes them really stand out, apart from their unique sound and approach, is how authentic and raw they always sound. After you're having to replace pretty much the core of your band, it's always going to be interesting what you do. The rhythms are massive, the thumping drums, the bass is big, the riffs are thick and frantic, big power chords, the guitar work is massive and powerful and it's so hard hitting. The mix is very thick and it feels like a brick is smashing you. The vocals on top of it all make everything well executed, they're pissed off. They're crushing, they're in your face, there's swagger, there's just so much going on. Another big positive is the mix-off and chemistry between the two vocalists, Ant and Chris. The way that their chemistry flows is at one of its highest points I think this band has ever had. They complement each other so well and there's such a fantastic trade-off, a very much back-and-forth style going on, from the rhyming rapping to the screaming harshness, and it's so noticeable on songs like Mona and at the end of London's Greatest Love Song Part 2. The English vibes are so apparent and so thick and evident that I think it's amazing. I think it also helps make TRC stand above so many other hardcore punk bands. Having this unique English sound to them makes them such a draw card. The only negative I have to give this EP in any shape or form comes down to a production and mixing issue. Anthony's shouting, rhyming vocals sometimes don't cut through the mix and above the hectic moments that are going on. It's nothing to do with his delivery or tonality, it's just sometimes he's not being mixed well enough above the rest. But if that is a negative, it's the only one really there. Being an EP, you sometimes worry that there's not going to be enough content on an EP. But this one has so much going on. It clocks in at around half an hour and is six tracks. It's such a big runtime for only six fucking songs. There is so much character and fun going on in here that I just can't stop listening to it. And not only that, but it makes me appreciate and love everything that they've done previously. I went back and just delved further into all of their discography, which I fucking love. This EP, Lifestyle, has made me so excited for what's going on ahead in the future for TRC. Hopefully, this movement and this thing that they're doing keeps going. Hopefully, we'll get a full length soon. Hopefully, they'll keep touring. I know they've been touring here and there over England and some parts of Europe, and hopefully, this EP will give them more momentum. 
This is for fans of Hatebreed and Madball, but this is also for fans of pure hardcore, punk, riffs. This is for fans of grime. This is for fans of hip-hop. This is for fans of all kinds of heavy music. TRC are a band that do so much in such a short amount of time. I cannot recommend them enough. The EP I am talking about is Lifestyle. It is by TRC. It is out now independently. You can find it everywhere online. And we do score it an 8.5 out of 10. So that's it for Mosh Reviews this week. All wrapped up, all in the can. What did you think? Do you agree with our reviews? Do you disagree with our reviews? Were any of those albums an absolute fave of yours? Did any of those albums you think were shocking? Let us know. Is there anything you're listening to at the moment that we haven't reviewed yet? Let us know. Is there anything coming out that you really want us to review? Let us know. Also, of course, if you are in a band and you've got an EP or an album on the way, shoot us an email or a comment or an inbox and let's organise getting your music featured and reviewed. Of course, if you do want to get in touch, there is our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. You can get in touch through our social medias, which are all at The Mosh Zone. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also get in touch via the website, which is www.themoshzone.com. Get in touch. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Coming up next is our chat with Brandon of Bleeding Through, The Iron Sun, Rise Above Fitness, 18 Visions, Throwdown was an absolute massive, massive, massive fucking honor and privilege to have the man on the show. I absolutely idolize everything he has done. He is one of my all-time favorite vocalists. Where I sit on my desk, I have two pictures above my desk, and one is of Brandon singing on the last tour they did of Australia. And to be able to have him on the show, just wow. It was it was wow. I reached out, he got back to me, And I'm just so thankful that he took the time out for the Mosh Zone. That chat with Brandon is coming up now. How's it going, man? Really good, dude. First off, absolutely (laughs) fanboying, dude. Um, I'm I'm sitting at my desk and I've got two pictures above my desk. And one is um, of my favorite skater, Bam. And then above him is a signed photo of you from an Australian show. So, um, that's awesome. <laughs> so this is, uh, yeah, I've got to say, um, yeah, the, the music you've put out through the years has um, not only motivated, but helped me through a lot. And to be able to talk to you for the show is yeah. Beyond words, to be honest. That's awesome, man. Hey man, the music still fucking helps me too, man. That's the point of, uh, why I even started playing music because it was like the only like true release that I had to sort of get rid of my anxieties and all that bullshit so so i thought i'd tell you man that makes it that makes it feel good um i thought i'd start off with um basically we just chat i'd love to just explore you know you've been in a lot of bands you've done a lot in your span of your career but i wanted to start off with just i know through fanboy research but how did you discover the heavy side of music well man it's kind of like 
Sorry, I'm on the run right now. I listened to, so like earlier on, like, I, this is like, sounds like funny, but like when I was like nine and 10 and like 11, so like we're talking 1989, 1990, 1991, like I listened to, I mean, yeah, I listened to like a lot of rap. So, but it was like public enemy and NWA and like all that, like, kind of like really hard rap for like the late 80s early 90s so i was always drawn to like the more like heavier side of like music basically and like it was just in the form of like hip-hop and then basically like what happened from there i graduated from there to like kind of like punk rock and it was just one of these things where, where like i had an older brother that was super into like like punk and like thrash metal, like earlier, like Anthrax and Testament and like Slayer and all those bands. So like when I was like 11 years old, 12 years old, I started like listening to um, a lot of that stuff. So a lot of like faster, like metal. So, and then from faster metal, I kind of like got into more like earlier punk stuff, like Minor Threat and um, Misfits and all that kind of stuff. And that kind of took me in a whole nother direction. So, but one of the things that always kind of intrigued me about music was aggression. And so for me, if it wasn't aggressive, I didn't really like it. If there wasn't a message, if I didn't believe what the singer was, what, what, what the singer was singing or didn't believe in his like delivery. And basically like, if I didn't feel like the singer was singing, like his life depended on it, <clears throat> I wouldn't listen to it. It just had to have that raw emotion. I was drawn to the raw emotion because younger growing up and even like now I'm full of emotion. And most of the people that get into hardcore and like metal and stuff. And that's what drew me to hardcore at an early age was the, the pure like rawness and emotion of the music. So was it, was it the sense of you felt like you belonged? Like it felt like it, someone understood you at a time? Well, when I got into like metal, you know, a lot of those bands, like as I mentioned, like they played like big like concerts and stuff. And then I was like, I was like 12 and 13. Like my friends that were a little bit older used to like talk to me about like, Oh, we go to these like shows and see like hardcore bands. And I'm like, what do you mean? So I didn't know what a show was. I'm like, you mean like a concert? And they're like, no, like a show, like a show is like smaller, no barriers, less people, smaller venues. So I started going to like punk shows. And back in the day here, like punk bands played with hardcore bands like in, in Southern California. And I remember just going and being like, dude, I totally belong here. Like it's all about the energy and the emotion in the room. Like that's like what completely drew me into it. Like I felt like it was like me and that's like why I kind of got into it. Now, what made you pick up a guitar? Cause you started out as a guitarist. What, what age were you and what made you pick up that instrument of all instruments? <clears throat> well, the first instrument I learned how to play was bass. Oh. And it sounds like ridiculous because like bass is like, it's just, it's sort of thing where like I was 12 and my friends were like jamming and stuff. And one of my, like my friend Ryan that played guitar had a bass and I picked it up and I was like, well, I'll just play bass, you know? And so I didn't actually play guitar until I was about uh, probably 15. I started like picking up a guitar because my friend left a guitar over at my house. And so I just started like playing it and I really didn't know how to play. And then I had a friend show me how to play like a power chord 
And so then from there, I started like kind of like playing every day for like about a year. And then kind of like a twist of twist of fate. Um, I was friends with the guys in 18 visions and um, just from like shows and hardcore and whatnot. And they were like, well, we need another guitar player. And I'm like, well, fuck, I'll play guitar. And they're like, well, how long have you been playing? And I'm like, oh, I've been playing for like six or seven years. <laughs> <laughs> so I totally lied to them. Right. And so like the very first songs that I ever learned how to play a guitar that were other people's songs were 18 vision songs. And, and it's like kind of funny cause like Dave Peters was the other guitar player who sings for throwdown. And, he actually kind of taught me how to play guitar and like really play guitar. Now, 18 visions was, as you said, you joined them in like 97 ish. Um, and you, yeah, it was about 90. Uh, and you got, you got a few albums and some EPs under your belt during that time. And that was also the uh-huh. time when this orange County sound, if you want to put it that way or scene exploded yeah. Um, did you notice mm-hmm. it at the time in 18 Visions that suddenly this this scene is getting massive? Kind of weird. Like, I feel like we played like a lot of like, we were always like the smaller. Uh, we play still play small shows, and and the thing with Orange County back in the, back then there was like bigger hardcore bands, and then there was like there was also venues that would have like super underground like crusty hardcore. And 18 Visions used to always play those like super underground crusty shows because venues wouldn't have 18 visions play like proper venues wouldn't have let us play because of at the time we're like the bad kids at the shows and we would get in fights and all that kind of stuff. So we were kind of like banned from a lot of venues. So we would play sort of like the underground shows with like cross bands in the area, like phobia and stuff like that. But then we started kind of making like noise and drawing people. And I was like, dude, there's, and we were kind of like, dude, we have like kind of like a fan base. And it was cool. Like, it was cool to think that we had like this fan base that we kind of built from like nothing. And, and then eventually these, these venues started booking hardcore shows and looking for support. And they kind of didn't have a choice. Like, we were kind of the biggest drawing, uh, local band, like in the area at the time. And then like bands like Adamantium started around the same time. And they were kind of like, I, I always say Adamantium and 18 Visions at the time, it was kind of like the Beatles and Rolling Stones. Like Adamantium was like the clean cut guys never had like drama or beef with anybody and everybody would put them on shows and they were friends with everybody. And then they were like the Beatles and 18 Visions was kind of like the bad boys. We got in a shit ton of fights. Nobody really liked us. Um, we were a risk to put on shows and we were kind of like the Rolling Stones, like to the Beatles. And it was kind of funny the band that kind of, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm like going off on more of a tangent, but no, the band that really, the band that really brought it together and the band that really took like Orange County that was building with a lot of bands like 18 Visions, Adamantium. Um, I mean, there were still like bands like Mean Season, Ignite and stuff like that that were going around at that time. But there was a lot of like newer bands as well that were starting. And the band that really bridged it though and really brought orange county from like 200 people was a huge show for hardcore to like all of a sudden like venues were selling out at like 500 600 people that was all throwdown oh wow like throwdown is what bridged it all together and it's the sort of thing that like um like they were the jocks liked throwdown the crusty hardcore kids like throwdown and then like punk 
kids like to throw down. It was like one of these things where it was like, I feel like that's like what really made it big. And then eventually like all the bands just started playing together, like throwing out an 18 visions would tour together and all that kind of stuff. And everything kind of morphed into one gigantic scene and then kind of like bleeding through started coming up through that. And I, and I, and, you know, I don't, I don't want to like, I don't want to like talk it up, but like the, it was at a really good point. And then I think that bleeding through kind of took, took that scene and, and elevated it even more and crossed it over more with like the metal like the metalheads. Well, you even joined Throwdown for a short period as well, didn't you? And helped out on guitar. Yeah, I, I was in, I was in Throwdown for a couple of years playing guitar. I was on the um, Beyond Repair record and um, was in the band when they did like the Drive Me Dead's uh, seven inch, and I did the first couple tours of them. Yeah. So at one point, I was in Eight Divisions, Throwdown, and Bleeding Through, and there was actually a couple shows that I played three sets. Jesus, well, back to back. Yeah. Like, it went bleeding through Throwdown 18 Visions. Fuck. So I was like, sing, grab a guitar, and then stay up there and keep playing. Now, why did... I mean, I know that you wanted to obviously commit all of your attention to bleeding through, but what was um, what was the reason behind 18 Visions leaving that? Was it to focus on bleeding through, or was it just like enough time had been time for a change? I really liked playing in 18 Visions. Um, I, I, I love the guys, and it just wasn't me. I wanted to play music with a little bit more meaning and Asian visions lyrically I didn't connect with. Um, and I just, it was fun, but I needed something that like with my like mental well being, I needed something that was just more emo like emotion to it, more something that I connected with. And it was like, although it was fun to do Asian visions and stuff like that, it was, it was just, it just didn't really connect. So when bleeding through got the opportunity to start touring, um, basically it was more of a connection and I felt it. And it was like one of these things where I felt that the, like the crowd connected with me and it meant a little bit more. Now bleeding through, you switched up obviously now to what a lot of people know you as, yeah. as a vocalist. Yeah. And how did you find switching from being on the left or right of stage, kind of not in the main attention to suddenly in the forefront? I've never wanted to be a finger like ever. I just, I just, I just didn't ever. I, yeah, no, I, it, it was never in me. Like I never wanted to do it. And it just kind of, I didn't really have like the, I didn't have the confidence to do it. I liked being behind a guitar. I liked kind of like being in my own little bubble and doing my own little thing. And then what happened is that the earlier throwdown tours, um, Keith blew out his voice and I had to finish the tour singing and it was pretty good. And then I came home and Keith didn't do a show because at the time he was doing uh, Adamantium and Death by Stereo as well, playing guitar. So um, Adamantium was his main band, so he had to go there and I had to I had to sing the show. And it was like a really big throwdown show and there was a lot of people there and probably like a few, like 400 people and it went fucking crazy and I was singing and then people kept on coming up to me like, dude, like, you're you're good up there and I'm like thanks man like I didn't really want to be a singer but you know I'll take it and then Scott Deneau who I started bleeding through with was at that show and he walked with me after the show and he's like dude you gotta sing in a band I really want to and he's like just do it he's like I'll write some songs and we'll get together and we'll see how it is and and then we kind of went from there now did you ever take vocal lessons or did you ever train yourself or was it like learn as you go? Not at first. And we went on a we went on a tour in two thousand and three in Europe with um with Sick of All 
and it was like a seven week tour and I just went over there and I was like jet lagged, exhausted. And I was like, I were, I, I kind of was like total Hulkamania mode where I'm like, I'm going to fucking get on that stage and I'm going to win over every fucking crowd and getting I have. Well, that everything I have was the first couple shows and I got, I completely strained my vocal cords. I was done. I was just done. Ooh. So for the next like couple weeks, the show sucked because I could barely get a voice, a voice out. So it just was really hard. And so when I got home from that tour, I stayed in New York a couple of days and I went and saw Melissa Cross, who's at like Zenith screaming. She's worked with a lot of people and she straightened me out, gave me those, those warm ups, And, um, yeah, I started doing those before shows and she kind of taught me how to like use my delivery a little bit better. And ever since then I've had, I've never had a problem. Now, Bleeding Through, you started out with um, Dust to Ashes and then you did Portrait of a Goddess. <laughs> did you feel like at the time the band was making an impact? Because Bleeding Through, the reason it drew someone like me to it was you guys offered everything in a blender, <laughs> but it was also it was personal with lyrics, but it was also heavy as hell. It was aggressive. <laughs> um did you feel like on those first two albums, people were taking notice? Uh, yeah, the thing was, is like when we when we first kind of started this whole deal, like it was um, when we first started it, it was we didn't think anyone was going to like us because we're like, oh, we're playing like black beats and we listen to black metal and fucking you know death metal and we do that stuff and we thought people were going to fucking hate us, so we're like, fuck it, we'll play blast beats and we'll play fast because everything right now is super fucking slow and mid tempo and like it's, everything's a, a fast part to a setup breakdown. So we just wanted to be kind of different. And I always wanted to kind of do like a singy screamy type thing. Um, because like growing up, like I listened to bands like overcast and stuff like that. And I was like, dude, this is fucking sick. Like I want to do this. And, um, so we thought that people were going to hate us and we started playing shows. And once we put out dust to ashes, we played a CD release show. And it was a sold out show. And we're like, well, what the fuck? Like, this is crazy. And the people, everybody was singing along and it was just kind of one of those things. So I'm like, okay, Dust Ashes is making an impact. Like we, we have something here, you know, let's just keep doing this. And, and that's when I kind of like noticed. And the thing was, is like when people are singing along to the lyrics and stuff, they meant it. Like they felt it. You know what I mean? Like it was one of those things where I felt like I could feel it coming from them. And I didn't feel that like, even singing in Throwdown for a little bit of time and playing in 18 Visions, I didn't feel that connection. I just didn't, I didn't have it. And so I knew that if anything else, like there was that emotional connection to the lyrics and to the band. Um, you know, we were like darker, we, you know, dressed in black and we kind of had like a darker aesthetic that I think people were like drawn, drawn to cause it kind of flowed with the mood a little bit better. Um, yeah. And that's, that's when I kind of realized that we were, we were making an impact. Another one too is we went to a we went out to um, Hellfest in Syracuse when they used to have like their little Hellfest there in two thousand and two thousand and wait two thousand one and I remember playing and there was a huge crowd to see us play and we played super early and people knew our lyrics and I'm like dude okay this is cool like I think we got something here now the under the other the other side of that coin is unfortunately the so called elitists or that in metal or hardcore were you also coming across a lot of people that weren't taking you seriously because of what you were doing musically and because you looked a little bit different to everyone else let me put it this way the metal scene like the pure metal scene is the most 
fascist, unwelcoming mm-hmm. scene there is. Yeah. Like, it's a bunch of fucking posers that wear the fucking metal uniform. And if you're not wearing that metal uniform, then you're not real metal. You know what I mean? Like, it's weird. It's, and they pride themselves on like being like this, like open scene, like everyone listens to metal, but no, we've been, we've been shit on by metal purists since the day we fucking started. But I guarantee if I sat in a fucking room with any of those motherfuckers, my knowledge of the music that they fucking love is way more vast than theirs. Guarantee it. And that's, and that's the thing is because I think most metalheads are complete posers. Oh yeah. In my mind, especially new, especially new bands that are like considered metal now i look at them like it's a fashion you're a fashion this is all fashion for you yeah i think i think you guys were around and a part of the dying breed of bands that were actually genuine i think i think nowadays it doesn't feel genuine feels forced you know and a lot of times like people you know it's kind of cool like you know, some of the bands are coming back, like even 18 Visions coming back and, and, you know, Walls of Jericho still plays and Darkest Hour still plays. And you're seeing a lot of more of these bands like from our era coming back. And what's cool about those bands coming back is like, and the reason why they want to is when I talk to them and I ask them like, why are you coming back? They, they kind of all say the same thing. It's kind of like before when our bands were playing it, there's, we had to put on a show to get in people's faces so they'd remember us. Now you go see, you listen to whatever metal is now or whatever hardcore is now. Every recording sounds exactly the same. It's all sonically the same. It's all the same level. It's, there's no different, different, nothing differentiates any recording. It's like all a big sort of like set process that all these bands do. Oh, you went and got your record mixed by this person. We're going to get our record mixed by this person. And then we're going to get our record mixed by this person. And then we can't afford this guy, but we also have all the programs online that this guy or on our computer that this guy has. So we can make our record sound like this person's record. And it all sounds so polished. And the problem is with newer bands. And I don't mind saying this, they can't do, they can't replicate what they do on their record live. And so, and also on the other side of it, they also don't put on a show. Like there's no shows anymore. Like I see people getting off stage, not even sweating. Like, what the fuck are you doing up there? Then, Like, you know what I mean? Like, and that's like, you know, that's where I'll be the grumpy old guy. And I will say that. And I'm not saying like, it's because of, they don't care as much. It's all relative. I think with the, with the, with the influx of social media and the fact that your band is always in people's faces, you don't need to try as hard as you used to. And that's not saying that they, they take it for granted. It's more just, it's just a sign of the times. Our bands had to work harder and bottom line, bottom line, we didn't have social media. We didn't have cell phones. I had to call venues on a payphone to make sure the show was still going on. You know what I mean? And also, that was in the days when that was also in the days um, which I miss nowadays. If you go to a CD store, I mean, they're dying in themselves. Yeah. But you used to see a CD, and it would say for fans of Bleeding Through Terror, so and so, and you go, okay, I'll check them out. Nowadays, yeah. people can go online, and it's become very um, bubble gum and discarded easily. I think compared yeah. to when you guys were around. I just think nobody stands out. Like I, you know, go back and look at like a metal hammer magazine, 2005, you'll see so many different looking bands and so many different vibes and everything. You look at a fucking AP right now. It just looks like the same band with different thoughts. It's so weird, man. It's just weird. I just, 
part of being a band is having your own like thing. That's what drew me to a lot of bands. Like, you know, it's simple as like I listen to Public Enemy because I because Flavor Flav wore a fucking clock around his neck. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's it's simple. It's, it's I love the Misfits because they dressed in all black and they wore fucking makeup, but they're also dudes that clearly worked out and can beat the fucking shit out of you. That was awesome. Yeah. You know, now it's like it's funny because it's like we played a metal, we played a festival. This is like when when Bleeding Through was going on, like the last like little bit little like U.S. run. We played a festival in Cleveland. Headlining the festival was Asking Alexandria, and I remember looking at the singer of Asking Alexandria and talking to John from Winds of Plague and looking at the singer of Asking Alexandria, and I said, "That is the dude who's the singer." in the headlining band of the Cleveland Metal Fest. That dude right there <laughs> wearing an extra small shirt that shows his belly and like what the fuck what ha- what is happening? <laughs> like where are where are we right now? Yeah. Where are we? And I and I'm sorry <laughs> like I've been like judged by the cover my whole fucking life so I don't mind doing it to other people like if that's the way it's going to be in this fucking industry and in the scene, then that's the way it's going to be. But it's just, to me, I'm like this, the scene has gotten so has gone the wrong way, but yeah. So like, that's, I don't know. That's it. I just, well, I miss, no. I miss the days of like a singer goes on stage or a band goes on stage and you feel a vibe and you kind of, you're almost like a scared anxiety. I miss those days. Well, yeah. Now going back just a little bit more to when bleeding through became, more of a name in a way mm-hmm. if that's um, it's not a very good phrase but it's what it was when you guys had your first two albums on um trust kill you know this is love and the truth mm-hmm. um you guys suddenly became a very big band um mm-hmm. now with becoming a bigger band and i mean as in like you ask a metalhead bleeding through and whether they like them or not they know who you are yeah. is there a was there a sense of pressure and expectation suddenly? I do know you've said that suddenly it became a business around this time, but yeah. was there pressure? Absolutely. And it, and, it, and, it, and honestly, back, I wouldn't put that pressure on us because we were fine. And what it was is bands were friends. And all of a sudden in 2005, ben, bands were friends in commerce. Mm. Which means, which means, it was just a competition at that point. I think between every band, you know, all the managers talk to each other, and they'd be like, "Oh, somebody back, like, oh, bleeding through just sold out," you know, House of Blues Chicago, and someone that represents a trade would be like, "Well, a trade you did this," and oh, they sold out that venue too, but they did two thousand more dollars in merch than Bleeding Through did. So, okay, Hark, they're the bigger band, and it's like. It, that used to be, I'm not, I'm not joking when it, when I'm saying that like for a couple of years, that's how it was every day. Like your accomplishment would just get shot down because you would hear somebody else's success and bands weren't friends anymore. They were just in competition. And if they were friends, it was like, for your friends in someone's face. But I mean, we were guilty. I've caught a lot of bands. We talk shit. Other bands talk shit. It wasn't friendly anymore. The business was growing way too big. It went from bands, touring in vans, sleeping in fucking like one bedroom apartment of their, like their friends to bands and buses and having buyouts and per diems and living a pretty decent life. But you had to perform at a certain level to maintain that life. 
and it was just a big dick measuring competition. And I don't think it was a measuring competition between the bands. I really don't. And, you know, bottom line, I don't think that the, that sort of competition and, and jealousy and all that stuff came from the bands. It was purely the fact how hardcore bands had marketing people and management and management cared about all that because they were the ones that were going back and forth to other managers jockeying per, per position for bigger recording budgets, bigger guarantees at shows, bigger tours, and everything just became a dick measuring competition. And that's when I hated it. I fucking hated it. Is that when also, um, I love that you've been public about it because I suffer with depression myself. Was this, do you feel like this was also an impact on that anxiety, depression, and I think you've said it, you, it's been properly diagnosed as bipolar now. Do yeah. you think this kind of environment started to impact you or your health? Absolutely. And to be completely honest, like I think between the eight, between the years of like 2006 to 2008, I never, I didn't even like, I, I barely even enjoyed my time. Like I wouldn't leave the bus. I wouldn't hang out with my bandmates. I remember like going days without even talking to my bandmates, you know, because I was just so fucked. Like my head was just so fucked because I would get off stage and all of a sudden I'd have a text message or a call asking me how many people were at the show, what we did at merch that night, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I just want to play a fucking show. On a side note with that is lyrics. Um, you're very personal and you're venting your issues. Has it always been easy to do, you know, writing out how you're feeling and then letting people accept it or reject it? Like, does yeah, that... So how does that to me, feel? To me, it's come a little bit easy. I think that, like, my brain's constantly working, so it's, like, one of these things where I feel that, you know, I feel that I can articulate, like, on at least, like, pen and paper, like, what I'm feeling at the moment. Um, I mean, a lot of the lyrics, I mean, we've done, like, a lot of songs, so a lot of the lyrics have a lot of crossover from a bunch of different songs, and I, I repeat lyrics because they work for what I'm writing. And the thing is, I've written almost every song, Bleeding Through song, and Ironson song, probably under 30 minutes. And if it takes me longer than that, then I'll just stop and I'll start over. Because I just, I think that it needs to flow from a right place and where your mind's at. And if it doesn't, then you're just forcing it. And then you're just singing a bunch of words that rhyme together. It doesn't work for me like that. Like, I think that the way that I write gets like a true, like, lyric of what I actually want to say out. Do, are you able to go back and listen to songs from a certain period of the band and you know what you were going through at the time? Are you still able to listen to those songs? Oh, absolutely. And to be honest, I don't even need to listen. I could just think about that song and like what I was feeling at the time. Um, now, in definitely want to just touch on a couple of little other things before I let you go. But one thing I've got to ask is, suddenly the end of Bleeding Through came in 2013. Yeah. Now... Was that a sense of relief to finally kind of say it was done? It was like this. The reason why we decided to do those like last shows, and the thing is too, it's like I've never, I've never said like forever, but at that moment, when the moment where we were going through in like 2013, like leading up to those shows, we all felt that bleeding through for what people knew it as, and the kind of like work ethic that we had and what people came accustomed to expect expectations for bleeding through. We needed to tear that down. 
Like we need to tear down our infrastructure of like our management, our booking agent, everything. We need to just tear it all down because it got to a point where we were starting to enjoy it more, but it was also a point where now we were in our mid thirties and it's a lot harder to do music mm -hmm. the way we were doing it, where it was like about like bleeding through above all we couldn't do it anymore. And that's why we wanted to do those last shows. And mainly we did those last shows because, and we, we went to a lot of areas that if we ever did come back at some point, um, we might not go to again. So a lot of the shows that we did on like our U S tour were in places like, you know, Albany, New York, obscure places like Lubbock, Texas. And, you know, if we ever did start playing shows again, we're probably not going to go there and play. So we wanted to go, we wanted to go to the little places and that's why we did those shows. And it was a relief to have that version of bleeding through finally be done with. Now I did notice there is a bit of a, there's been, then you can say what you want to say. You don't have to answer the question because I've noticed some social media teasing and sharp tone teased something that at the start of the year that definitely sounded like your voice on it. Um, yeah, that could be the iron sun. Is it the Iron Sun? You're not going to say uh, it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, part of, that's part of the anxiety about it. It could be. It could be. It could be me recording a music video and having people in Bleeding Through as the band. Um, okay. It could be the Iron Sun with people in Bleeding Through writing the music. Um, okay. So there's a lot of possibilities but I'm keeping it a secret for just that reason, because I just don't want to let people know yet. No, that's, that's cool. But will we hear something? Will we <laughs> yeah, see there's, there's or hear be, something by the end of the year? There's going to be something really soon. Absolutely. And, and there, it'll make sense with everybody. I have like a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a grand scheme and plan happening oh, that I think people I will be it. stoked on. So now a um, couple other questions before I let you go is one of my favorite albums you've done was an album that you actually just released through your Facebook page, or I think it might have... Yeah, it would have been Facebook. Um, it was the band that started out being called Sorrows that ended oh, yeah. up being called Suffer Well. Um, you came out, I think it was announced, I don't know if you guys announced it, but Century Media announced that they'd signed you guys, and yep. then it all went quiet, and then suddenly you released the album for free, but it was only for a limited time. It was like, here it is, grab it if you want it. Um, yep. luckily I was on the internet that day. What, what happened with all of that? Is that going to so, have a chance to appear that, or? That'll never be released, but it should be because I think that's, you know, I've, I've had people like, you know, people like Adam D from Killswitch said that's the best record that no one's ever going to hear. It's amazing. It was me and Nick, the guy that I do, um, Nick Kinney, the guy that I do the Iron Sun with, we signed to Century Media and in our, in our deal, it was you have to agree to six weeks of touring per 18, 18 months record cycle. Said, okay. They paid us our recording budget. We gave them the masters. We gave them the artwork. We okayed everything. We were ready to lay it out. And then all of a sudden, February for our release is coming. We're like, cool. Like, is this record going to be released on schedule? And they're like, actually, we're going to push it back until you guys commit to doing a tour. And we said, well, that's not the fucking, that's not like, you said six weeks. It didn't have to come out around a tour. Like we'll do your our six weeks of touring and those eighteen months and and those guidelines, but it wasn't in our contract that we needed to do this around a tour around a tour. And they said, well, if you're not going to tour right away off this record, then we're going to shelf it. 
And I said, well, shuffle for how long? And they're like, until you commit to doing a tour. And I said, well, fuck you guys. And I basically hung up on them. And I went online. And Mick and I went online and we said, fuck them. And we said, let's just fucking tell people to go download it. And a shit ton of people downloaded it. And Century Media sent me a email saying that a cease and desist, you need to take it off the sites, blah, 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 this and that. And I just replied with, sue me. That's the last part of it. <laughs> I was lucky enough to be on the internet and grab the copy. And that's constantly been on, on my phone. It's, yeah. that's fucking sick. Like, I know, I know it's on, it's on Spotify, which is cool. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, the band, the band you mentioned just before, um, that um, hopefully I did see today, you're announcing that there will be new music, um, The yeah. Iron Sun. Um, was, was that time, did you come back with that because it was time to scratch the itch of making music again and be able to have total control over your music? Absolutely. And that's exactly why I did it. I just wanted to like, I just wanted to do it to get that sort of like release out of writing music and releasing music. And, you know, we put it out ourselves. We didn't really want to have like anybody kind of tell us, you know, what we could do, couldn't do this and that. And we just wanted to kind of do it and we didn't want to have any expectations. We just wanted to put the record out and, and be like, okay, like this is what's happening. And, we're cool with it. We just wanted to release music to solely release music and not have any expectations or whatnot. Um, it's hard to play shows just because finding time to do it is tough, but you know, we still play and we still, you know, we're still like writing music. We just want, I just wanted to do it because yeah, I just needed to, I needed to write music. It was like one part of me that I was like missing, like, and, and it was sort of, I needed to do it. So thank God we did that record because it's, I like, I really do like the record and we like playing live and you know, we actually get a really good turnout when we play live and it's every time we play, I'm kind of like really shocked with how well the shows are like people sing along and you know, it sold a few, it sold a bit of records. So, I mean, it did well. I know that when you first did it, you did a limited run signed. I've got number. Yeah. We did all the signed ones. That's awesome. Last question I've got is, um, about the Rise Above Fitness, which is your, I mean, in a way of saying it's your day job. Yeah, it is, though. You started this around the time, uh, I think it was around 2008-ish, um, if I'm correct. You started doing Rise Above Fitness. Was it the reason for starting it, not only because you're massively into fitness, but also so you could set yourself up with a career? Well, it, it was around that time, and I'm like, okay, like, I'm in my, like, I'm in my thirties touring is getting harder. Um, the money is not the same. It was a really weird time for bleeding through at the time. And it was around like 2008. And I was just, it was just, I started thinking to myself, okay, what can I do after this? What's something that's going to satisfy me? And, I kind of was like, okay, well, I really care about fitness. And they hate going to public gyms because they just don't speak to me. And there's no culture. There's no reason for being there. I wanted, and this kind of goes full circle to like one of your first questions is I wanted to create a place in the fitness industry that you walk into and you go, okay, this place speaks to me. There's a vibe here. Like I belong here. And, but also have 
you know, A plus training and work with people that, you know, are maybe intimidated by going to like a big old public gym and they don't really know how to, where to start and they could feel comfortable with me being here if they felt comfortable, you know, whatever. So I just wanted to create something that was like a culture and, and, you know, I put a hundred percent of myself into it and it turned into what it turned into. And, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have that, you know, going on right now. And it's, it's become massive. Well, from over here, it's become, it's become, it's become pretty big. I'm really excited about it. And I think the reason why it's, we're honest, we're honest with it. And we have the same goal from like day one. And that's just create, you know, a rad place for people to train. And we're not going to try to sell ourselves out on fucking social media so we can get bigger because, or to get that much bigger. Because the thing is when we were this like trendy gym, like we would get clients that wouldn't last and they weren't doing it for the right reasons. And I'm kind of like a realist. I want people that are going to come here and work their ass off. And we have, you know, we have a lot of, we have, you know, over 300 clients and it's cool, man. I'm excited. It, 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 it stokes me out every day, but it is a fucking day job, man. Like it's six o'clock to about 6am till about 7pm, 7.30pm every day. Oof, on the grind. Yeah. Now, last thing I do is a segment called pick your poison. And it's basically okay. a, would you rather, and you pick one or the <laughs> other. And we just get to know a little bit more about you. So, pizza or burger? Burgers. Okay. Chicken or beef? Beef. Cinema or on the couch? Oh, man. I like going to the movies, so I'll go go cinema. Beach or snow? Oh, that's fucking hard. Fuck. (laughs) Um, I'll take take good snow and a good mountain over good waves so i'll take some wow. okay now i know you're a big sports fan so would it be american football or baseball american football and that's it's only by like a narrow margin terminator or predator terminator nice um pantera or slayer pantera um last one this one a bit of a i think this one might be a challenge misfits or Danzig solo? Oh, that's tough because, oh, that's tough. I mean, if, if you're just judging Danzig by his first four records, uh, okay, here's my misfits. But, but if you gave me a choice to see Danzig lineup that he had on the first four records like John Christ fucking uh, Chuck Biscuits like if you have those dudes playing I would rather see that lineup of Danzig play earlier Danzig than the original Misfits lineup play original Misfits ooh that's a nice answer that's a great answer nice. but like over overall Misfits is my favorite band but I you know I was, and unfortunately, we'll never see it because Chuck Biscuits died. But, dude, mm. if you give me that original Danzig lineup and have them play fucking anything off the first four records, or just play the first record, nothing will, nothing would top that for me. It would just be so fucking good. And I guess it's because Bleeding Through played in like oh four. Us and Azalea Dying played a couple, a few Danzig shows when there was the first couple of shows where Doyle came out and they played like a Misfits set at the end. So I think seeing that 
seeing that kind of got that out of out of my system. And I think sort of the fact that like there's been so many different incarnations of misfits over the years that it's kind of watered down a little bit. Like no one's tried to emulate Danzig. There's never been another Danzig. You know what I mean? There's just Danzig. That was that's the best answer. Last one, which I think will be an easy one. It is vinyl or CD. Well, it's it's vinyl, but yeah, it's vinyl. Vinyl. I'm trying to think of a clever answer. Like vinyl, <laughs> it's a collectible, and my car doesn't even play CDs anymore. It's like all just Bluetooth. So yeah, so, <laughs> so I don't know. But yeah. Uh, thank you, Brandon, so much, dude. Really, no worries, really man. appreciate it. That was sick, and um, really excited to see what all the teasers are about. Um, can't wait. Yeah, to see you'll that. you'll be seeing you'll be seeing soon. It's like I almost don't want to tell people in, in two regards because if they do think it's bleeding through, but it's the iron sun, at least it's like okay, it's the iron sun we're bleeding through. I don't know. The anticipation will be worth it, whatever it is. <laughs> um, and yeah, thank you for taking the time out. It's uh, no worries. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Thank you so much, dude. Cool. Thank you, man. Th- thank you. Take care and speak to you soon. Take care. Okay. Bye. So that was my chat with Brandon of Bleeding Through, The Iron Sun, Rise Above Fitness, 18 Visions, Throwdown. Thank you so much, Brandon, for taking time out for the show. Forever indebted, forever grateful, forever thankful. He took time out of the busy schedule, and thank you so much. I'm just, words can't describe how thankful I am to not only Brandon, but people like Brock of 36 chatter for the fallen dreams these guys that are big names big icons and big favorites of mine in the heavy scene and when i've reached out to them they have not only wanted to come on the show but have also replied to me so brandon thank you so much dude so so fucking grateful and that is the mosh zone episode 12 done for this week We've wrapped it up. We're all finished. What a big fucking show. Great fucking show. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you did enjoy listening, help us out. Share the podcast. Share it on your Facebook, your Instagram. Tell your friends at work. Tell everyone you know about The Mosh Zone. Help us spread the word about the show and help us grow our listener base so we can get bigger and bigger and we can bring more content to you guys more often. Of course, if you do want to get in touch, we would love to hear back from you. We're always welcome for your feedback and to create some dialogue with you guys that are listening. The way you can do that is send us an email, themoshzone at gmail.com or you can get in touch through Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. They are all at themoshzone. Of course, there is also the website, www.themoshzone.com. Don't be afraid. Get in touch. Send us some questions. Send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you guys. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a safe week. We'll be back next week with episode 13. Stay safe. Open the pitch.